When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Greetings and welcome to Starkville. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Gladwell. Mike Trout is coffee. At Starbucks with a double latte, skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. (laughs) Your readings and welcome to Starkville, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70. Celebrating 70 years of Topps baseball cards. Starkville is now part of the Athletic Baseball Show, where you'll find spectacular baseball talk all week long, which includes us, every Tuesday. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for The Athletic. Joined once again by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, Doug Glanville. Doug, happy autumn. Are you a fan of autumn? I'm just checking. Love it. One of my favorites. Um, I mean, spring is hard to beat with baseball, but but fall, I love the food. That's my big thing. The soups and the salads and the, <laughs> oh man, it's so, I love it. So I'm um, having a good time. My class, you mentioned professor, well, University yeah. of Connecticut. Yes, yeah, we're in our um, our third week. We just finished our third week. And it's great to actually be in class, which is different, obviously, over the last year and and they're they're all excited. They're all I haven't had this much participation ever. I mean, they're they're really happy nice. to be be live. So that's been cool. A lot of fun. Very cool. Now the the parts of the fall I like baseball playoffs, yeah, football, fantasy football. Hoop yeah. season starts up. The only thing I'm not a fan of is the wind chill factor becomes a thing again. As somebody yeah. roaming around the country covering postseason baseball. Don't like it when the wind chill factor is the big number of the day, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Enough about me. Uh, Great show coming up today. You may have noticed the Blue Jays are on our rampage. Uh, Their manager, Charlie Montoyo, joins us. Uh, Doug, I know you and Charlie once played together, so we'll tell people where that was, how that went a little later. But uh, first, a couple of things. I want to start by talking about the Padres, Doug, because they started out the season as one of baseball's feel-good stories, one of the most fun teams to watch in the game. And now, (laughs) fun wouldn't describe them, you know? On the the morning of July 1st, that team was 16 games over 500, and now they might not even finish with a winning record. And on Saturday night, they had a thing break out, um, just for people who aren't aware of it. Fernando Tatis uh, got called out on strikes, had a little tantrum in the, in the field, then back in the dugout. 
Uh, Manny Machado confronted him, screamed at him in the dugout. It's captured on video. The video goes viral. Uh, the Padres try to spin it. It's just a little family squabble. It's no big deal. Although they don't make either Manny or Fernando available to the media, either Saturday or Sunday. So, Doug, I know you haven't been involved in a lot of dugout screaming matches, but you have been in dugouts where stuff like this happens. So what should we think and what shouldn't we think about something like that? Well, first, I would say that it's fairly typical, right? The, you know, maybe the, the, the forum, how it spilled out, was clearly showed a lot of extra tension around it because usually you try to, you know, take it in the locker room or something else. But even then, even understanding that, it does happen. You know, it does happen on the field. I've definitely seen, you know, altercations in, in the dugout. I've seen fights in the AAA locker room and all, you know, so uh, it, you know, it's a long season. And then when you capitalize, you know, you combine that with an underachievement, a frustration, uh, it starts to, uh, to to boil over. The Padres have had a really uh, abysmal 30 days offensively. I think they've hit under 200. Uh, they've really struggled. And the thing I don't underestimate is Tati's his shifting of positions. It, I, I'm sure that's not easy. I mean, yes, it's one thing to go from, okay, you're playing right field to center. But when you're going from a skill position where you're in the center of action at shortstop, and then you're kind of throwing the outfield – Although I understand you know, the, why they decided to try to push that, it, it's like a demotion de- defensively, right? Because short is the premier position, and now you're kind of moved out of that. And and when you start to struggle as a team combined with that, you know, it, there's a lot of things you can boil over. So if it was a leadership moment, if it was things, then certainly the you know the Padres can shed light on that. I, I think there's certainly a lot of things that can be said that could be, you know, I wouldn't say positive, but could be. Uh, could neutralize the situation because players know that this happens. It's not anything unusual. You get mad at each other. People get into physical fights. I mean, so, so um, you know, I don't know. I mean, we'll see if that reconciles. But while we're waiting, there's a lot of stuff that kind of fills in the void. And while they're struggling, you know, it, it sort of compounds the problem because they're just going in the wrong direction. Yeah, I think. Um, here's my problem with this. Uh, I know the Padres have tried to portray it as Manny Machado being a leader, trying to keep Fernando Tatis Jr. from making the mistakes that he, Manny, made when he was like 20, 21, 22 years old. But I guess my question would be, does he have to do this the way he did it in front of everybody, make it a scene uh, for everyone to witness? Isn't it Always better, if you're going to be a leader, to put your arm around this guy, take him down the tunnel, and do it another way? Yes, in short, absolutely. And maybe Machado has some regrets about that, like the the forum by which he said what he, he said and the way he said it. Uh, yes, can you understand that it can be frustrating? But their problems weren't necessarily Tatis Jr., right? They're their pitching has fallen apart. They're injured. They've had, you know, they've had a lot of other issues. Right? Oh, yeah. So, um, you know, so it's not, he's, he's had, actually had a, you know, he's going to get some MVP votes. He might even win it actually, by the way. So um, yeah, can he get better as a young player? Sure. I know for me, I had veteran players different times, you know, Lance Johnson, 
uh, different guys that came over me, you know, talked to me, Sean Dunstan, Mark Grace, Mike Morgan, and so on. And for the most part, they would pull you aside. And in fact, Lance Johnson, one time, I fouled the ball off my shin many times, anytime Mark Leiter pitched or Derek Lowe or Brandon Webb, that's what I did. So I had this pretty bad, to the point I got x-rays. So I come back and I'm wearing a shin guard and I kind of hit a ground ball and I wasn't as fast as normal going to first. And Lance, you could tell, was upset because he thought I didn't run hard. And he knew the situation, but he didn't like, he kind of just came and whispered to me. He's like, hey, you know, are you hurt? You know, it wasn't it wasn't a scene. And I think because Machado turned it into a scene, uh, what ends up happening is you as a player get defensive because of the way it's done, not because of the content. And then you miss the lesson that Machado might have had that could be valuable. And that's where you start to lose a lot of communication between players because it starts to become how you do stuff and how you say stuff. And um, so I think that could be a missed opportunity. I know Tatsis Jr. has talked about Machado as important leader, I think, earlier in the year. Yes. I, I think there's a respect there. Uh, but but that's – even if Tatsis is not going to take him on, it's painful when you have a, a mentor call you out like that. That that could – it's not so much about being mad at him. You might just be uh, upset and empty about it, and that's that's also a bad place to be. Yeah, and one other thing, you kind of touched on this, the MVP factor. Uh, a couple of weeks ago on this show, I said the National League MVP award was Tatis's to lose. And so think about how that plays into this. Optics matter. And to have this scene happen, uh, his own teammate caught on video screaming at the MVP candidate, it's not about you. That's a bad, bad optic for anyone trying to make a case as most valuable player, uh, don't you think? Yeah. Well, the other thing is that Tatis Jr., that's his game. You know, like, and I'm, I'm not saying you argue with umpires all that, but when you have someone who's flamboyant and exciting, they they also swing the other way. They take things hard. They're just, they're an emotional player. So you have to kind of coax and understand, like, that's the 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 sort of nature of what he brings. He's, you know, I, I, I called the Cubs-Padres game where he went, uh, Tatis Jr. went, you know, he struck out like the first three or four at-bats. I mean, he really struck. I think he won for, uh, he was 0 for 5 with four strikeouts or something. And he took it hard. I mean, he took it hard. It, it wasn't like, oh, I just struck out. So yes, he celebrates, he dances, he's got the swag. But then when he's not performing, it's hard. And and he's he's young. And Machado definitely understands that. So, um, so you, you know, you have to handle with with care. And it doesn't mean you can't be mad and yell and be upset at a player. I think then it's the forum by which you do it. And someone who's so front-facing as him, to kind of get embarrassed like that publicly, that's that's a big blow. All right, one more unrelated thing. I wrote a piece for The Athletic last week. Uh, it's about the new 15-second pitch clock yeah. being used in the minor league that we used to call the California League, but now because we're into the catchy names, it's the low-A West League. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, and I asked this question about this clock. Is it possible that this pitch clock could, quote-unquote, fix baseball. And here's why I asked that. Because it has had a huge impact, not just on time of game, but on the way the game is being played on the field. Now, the time of the average game is down 21 minutes since they went to this clock, uh, mostly because the dead time in the game 
just melts away. I mean, we've got a, a we we superimposed video of a big league game and a low A West League game side by side in the piece, and it's just so striking. But beyond that, just that part of it, there's also there's been more runs, more action, more homers, fewer walks, fewer strikeouts. So this has real potential. Um, Doug, you played in the big leagues. You were very active in the union. Could you ever see a pitch clock, 15-second pitch clock specifically, coming to Major League Baseball? I can see it. And, and Jay, that was a fantastic article because never has it been where one move captured so much of the issues that baseball has or claims to have, right? I mean, it it kind of addressed so many things, right? Statistically, the walks, the three outcome. It, it, it was really like, a, it's like a universal elixir almost. So it's hard to, it's hard to deny that. And, and something like time, it's not one of those things you could argue, well, it's low A and all that. It, it's, it's, it's changing a, a whole element that universally would have some effect, right? And and so, yes, the Union Players Association will have to sign off of it, and, and I think they have to understand the incentives and how it plays out. <clears throat> but, you know, I think I think in the article, I forgot who, it was Rico Bronier, I think it was, my old teammate, and he said, um, nobody wants to play a three-hour and 30-minute nine-inning game. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> nobody want right, nobody wants that. It's like, you know, you're on the field, whatever, but it's like, you, you do it, but... Uh, but uh, the the side by side, by the way, and the article was fantastic because you had, you had I think it was George Springer who was hitting, was. and so you know you, th- you show the quick pitch on the one side, the, the low A, and then Springer like I don't know if he swung and missed or whatever. He walks around the catcher. <laughs> he does he does this whole thing. It's like the the low A video ends and the other one is still going, and you're just like. <laughs> It's one He's not pitch. even in the box yet, right? right. So yeah, like so here's really how that. Like, I mean, here's how that came about. Um, you know, I, I, you know, through the minor league baseball site milb.com, you could watch these games in that league. So I picked one out. I, you know, I talked to Rico Brony and a couple of players on the Stockton team. So I decided I'd watch one of their games. The game was over in two hours and thirteen minutes, <laughs> and the first inning of that game, uh, two nothing game. And there's a, all the scoring is a two run homer bottom of the first inning. So I thought, let me find a major league game that was kind of similar to see how those two games compare. So I found this Blue Jays Orioles game that we just talked about actually. Um, and in that game, it was the same exact number of pitches thrown in the inning. All the scoring again took place on a two-run homer in the bottom of the inning. The big league game took five and a half minutes longer just to play the first inning because of the what stuff we just saw, all the dead time, all the walking around. And that is the issue. But you know, big league players, as you know, don't see it that way. Obviously, the stakes are so different in the low A West League than they are in a big league game. And in my piece, James McCann. I talked to Tim Britton of The Athletic, and uh, I mean, the way he described it is the way a lot of big leaguers think. Big leaguers have a lot of stuff to process now between every pitch. There's a lot of information. Uh, What's the pitcher thinking? What am I thinking at the plate or if I'm the catcher? What do we have to do next? What's the sequencing? How do we get this guy out? And so there's a reason, in his view, that there's so much more "quote unquote" dead time between pitches in a big league game. Big leaguers don't think it's that dead, 
But if you watch this league and you talk to people who play, coach, manage, scout, pass through the league, um, there's a style of baseball that we miss that used to happen in the big leagues and doesn't now where pitcher throws the ball, catcher throws it back, pitcher throws another pitch, the hitter doesn't leave the box. Um, is it ever possible we could see that happen in the major leagues again? Because you know what, Doug? It needs to happen. Uh, yes, I say yes. I think it it's shown a lot of value. They'll continue to test it out. And you just have to have the incentives. I mean, McCann's going to make his argument as a catcher. He has to process this information. The hitter has to do the same, the scouting, the shifting defenses and all that. I, I understand it's a lot that happens now. But as you mentioned, they perceive it that there's a lot going on in that, quote, dead time. But you also have an entertainment product. And, and can they synthesize this better? Can you have a sequence of five pitches in advance? Can you, you know, there's there's something that can be done. There's too much high information in there to say, look, our outcome is that we're trying to get this done in 15 to 20 seconds. Now let's try to figure out how to best accomplish that. I don't think that's something that requires, you know, a NASA degree. I think they can <laughs> really figure it out and make it worthwhile to the player. They just have to distill the information better because now you feel like you're, you're getting more into like a video game. You're, all these computations are happening without you know, anything happening actually. So, um, yeah. So I, I, I thought it was a fantastic example. I hope I'm sure they'll keep studying it, but I hope the major leagues will try it. And I think the union and the players, uh, MLB get on the same page about it. Yeah. We'll have to see what happens next. Um, obviously it needs to be tried out at different levels of the minor leagues, uh, to see if the same thing happens in say double A and triple A that yeah. happened in this league. Maybe this was just a fluke, and maybe uh, you, you wouldn't get more action. Maybe you wouldn't get f fewer strikeouts. You know, maybe you wouldn't have more dead time, I, I, or few, less dead time. We'll, we need to find out what happens, but I'm sure baseball is going to try to find out. Yeah. And then the question is, then what? Um, you know, The best possible solution is players... Major League Baseball agree on some kind of clock, some kind of phase-in period. Try it in spring training. Uh, see how it plays out. Um, get people used to the idea. But at some point, Doug, this needs to come to the big leagues. The clock is not the enemy. It doesn't have to be. Um, we could have a whole conversation, a whole show just about this. Maybe we should do that this winter because it's bound to come up again in uh, the labor talks, but baseball is better when it's played with much better rhythm. Hitters hit better when they hit with better rhythm. Pitchers pitch better when they have better rhythm. Guys in the field feel better, and the game is more entertaining when it has better rhythm and more action. So we need this to happen in some way, shape, or form. Stay tuned. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Doug, we're in the presence of an American League Manager of the Year candidate. Uh, we don't have many of those visit us here at Starkville's, but Charlie Montoya must have gotten lost or something because he's here. Uh, Charlie, thanks for joining me and Doug Glanville. How are you, my friend? Great, guys. Uh, you are welcome. You know, my, it's my pleasure to talk to you guys for sure. Uh, our pleasure as well. Um, Charlie, why don't we start with this? On August 28th, your team woke up that morning, found itself nine and a half games behind the Yankees in the standings. If I had told you then that three weeks later you'd be ahead of the Yankees in the standings, what would you have said? You know, uh, the one thing about it, Jason, I didn't know that because I don't look at TV. I don't look at the standings. I promise you, I, I did not know that. Now, I did know that we were playing Oakland and the Yankees back-to-back. -back. I didn't know that. <laughs> And I go, wow, that's going to be tough because, you know, you either got to sweep them or if you lose two out of three or three, four against the Yankees, season's over. We got two weeks left. That's it. But this team believes from the whole whole time. They, they believe, like, the whole time we have a chance. We have a chance. And, and, and because we have gone through everything we have gone through, you know, playing in three different ballparks, you know, playing on the road for 200-and-something days or whatever that's been. And... They believe, and, and and then one game at a time. You know, that's that's the truth. You got to go one game at a time. All of a sudden, great comeback against Oakland, the first game, and the next game, and all of a sudden you go to Yankee Stadium and win the first one, all right, and then it keeps going. <laughs> it's been amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I bet it has. So let's just clear this up. You don't know where your team is in the standings right this minute? No, so, no, I don't. Because I, I don't look at it because, you know what, I, can, I only have control to what we do every day. And i always been like that anyways, even when I was in Durham managing. Uh, that's just that just always been me. So, but, but now I know that my head. <laughs> well, I didn't reveal where you actually are. Other than okay, you're ahead okay, of the Yankees, yeah. that's all. <laughs> but, yeah, we'll keep, but we'll I, keep that secret. <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I'm actually glad that you framed it that way because – you know, um, like neither of us live in New York, but we're aware of the way people in New York are looking at this. And they think the Yankees are collapsing, but there are always two sides to these stories. You, your team still had to get on a roll to get where it is. And as we're having this conversation, the Blue Jays are 18 and four in their last 22 games, 15 and three in September. So I, Here's my question, Charlie. If you were going to describe your team this month or in this this particular streak with one word, what would the word be? Pitching. Pitching. We have, our stars have done a great job, so which means, Jason, that we have a chance to win every day. Our stars have been amazing, you know, because everybody always talked about our offense, offense, but though, you know, it's tough to hit, hit, and to win games. You got to pitch. And you gotta catch the ball. So maybe I could use two words: pitching and defense. We have <laughs> and play great defense because you know we're gonna find ways to score runs. But at the end of the day, you guys know in the big leagues you win with pitching and defense. Yeah, and Charlie, I'm curious. You mentioned the managerial philosophy, sort of just sort of the one day 
keeping it in front of you. Did that come from someone who is sort of a mentor about how to become a manager or be a manager? Is it also how you played? I mean, I played with you in Puerto Rico, but I probably didn't know exactly the window on how you kind of approach day to day. So where, where does that come from? From 18 years of managing the big, in, in the minor <laughs> leagues, <laughs> yeah. going day to day, not knowing, you know, uh, managing at one level and they might take all your players to the next level, which was great because that's what all, it's all about. And, and just worrying about the game in front of you because tomorrow you might not have three of your prospects, but they might be gone. <laughs> so, you know, and so that I, I've been like that since, since the minor leagues and you learn it down there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and Charlie, I think the, you know, when you talk about the minor leagues and you think about the major leagues and how analytics or how measured success is, is there anything that you look to statistically to say, okay, this is kind of a good barometer of where we are? I feel like we're on the right track. Is there anything sort of tangible that you rely on? You know, baseball's the same everywhere. It's funny. Like when you're having a good series, it's funny how the, Everything goes your way. The little things, you know, or a, a little pop-up or a 3-2 ball that could have been a strike. It's called a ball. When things go your way, it's unbelievable how from rookie ball to the big leagues, that's how it goes, you know, and and everything is going our way. Our, our pitching is doing great right now, you know, and, and of course, you got to have good players at the end of the day, and our players are doing really good, and they're great kids, by the way, too. They're, they're breaking all kinds of records. I think Bo's about three more RBIs to get 100, which is pretty cool. I'm sure – I don't know what kind of record that is. I'm sure Jason knows, but that's, that's, <laughs> that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, fa- like father-son stuff. Uh, Bo's got a ton of that I've been that I've been looking up. Uh, I'll get on the father-son 100 RBI club. I'll get back to you on that one, but <laughs> – I mean, since you're bringing up records and offense, a couple of weekends ago in Baltimore, your team went into the last inning of game two of a doubleheader, three outs from getting no hit, and then you scored 11 runs. You wound up scoring 44 runs in 24 hours. Like, you're putting up points like the Raptors. (laughs) Pascal Siakam must have been in your lineup. Have you ever been part of anything like that? No, so that's what I said. I think I said after the game or the or the day after that I was I never thought I was gonna use Jack Buck line that I don't believe what I just saw. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it's it, it's unbelievable. Not only that, Jason to score this eleven runs is to score twenty two the next day because usually okay, what? everybody was high, so that's it. And to do that the next day, that's oh my god, all right. <laughs> oh my god is right. Do you know at one point? You'd scored 44 runs and only made 41 outs. So w- what happens to a lineup when it gets on a roll like that? It's awesome. And it, it, it starts actually in the bottom. If the bottom gets hot, it comes to the top again. And you guys know our first, our first five hitters are unbelievable. Their numbers have been great. But when Lourdes Guriel and, and, and either Riz McGuire, those guys get hot at the bottom, it comes back to the top. And that's what happened in, in those four games and in, in, in Against the Orioles. No kidding. So we, we've covered pitching, defense, offense. There's one more thing about your team, belief. It's just so obvious when you watch the Blue Jays play that there's a there's an attitude that your group has. Where does it come from and how would you describe it? So we actually made a, a, a T-shirt that, that says nobody gives a blip. 
because at the end of the day, like nobody cares that we play on the road in Dunedin. Like I, I used to coach for the Rays. So when I managed against the Rays in Dunedin, that was like the best home field advantage I've ever had. And they even <laughs> said it, I saw it. Because so everybody was there, everybody was pulling for the race, they were yelling at us, you know. Same thing happened in Buffalo. You know, when we played New York, everybody was against us at our home field, you know, same with Boston, everybody from from there from Boston. So it's like we've been playing on the road the whole time, not making excuses, you know, and it is what it is. We moved three times, moving families, leases, and all that. Okay, <laughs> you know, it's not easy to do. And at the end of the day, Nobody gets it, whatever. <laughs> so you got to deal with it and keep playing. And that's what this team, that's what these guys have done. No excuses the whole time. Because you haven't heard it. I'm just talking, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> which is pretty cool. Well, I mean, and, and Charlie, I mean, I, I think back to playing with you in, in winter ball. And, you know, just for the record out there, uh, you're, you're one of the best teammates I've ever played with. I mean, Thank and you. not because of your kindness and the fact that you worked hard, showed up every day, but you were always a super intelligent player. I mean, you just, your command of the strike zone, which I never came close to mastering, right? Um, you know, you're just understanding of counts and situations and just talking baseball. Uh, so that joy that you had that I saw when you played, uh, do you find it different as a manager or is it something that's sort of been part of what's always been in your game? Yeah, I mean, healthy to be like even killed the whole time. Like you don't see me getting excited about anything because you know at the end of the day, players are watching you. You know when you manage games, and if you, somebody makes an error or something, and you go or throw your hat or do something, they're watching you, man. And you, you got to remember that it's a tough game. <laughs> it's a grind every day, and I do understand that. You know, I'm I always you know pulling for my my players, not not like any other dip manager, but I just just because. What you just said, as a teammate, that's who I was. You know, I'm always pulling for my guys, and I'm always going to defend them until the end. And and what I love about this team, they did a good job raising these kids to the big leagues. They played the game the right way. So I don't want to take credit for that. They came like that. I mean, the Bows, the Vigios, all those guys played the game the right way. And talking about playing the game the right way, one of the best things that happened when we scored those 22 runs, which to me was the number one for me, Marcus Samian already had seven at-bats. It was like 22 to whatever, 22 to seven, whatever it was. His last at-bat hits a fly ball to center. He goes halfway almost to second base. Like, oh, my God, I love that. That's what we <laughs> are right there, you know. And not people pay attention to that, but I do. I said, man, that tells you everything about this team. Yeah, and, and, when you, and, and when you came into to spring training, you know, this year versus other years. Uh, was there something you saw in that team, in this team for 2021, that you felt different about previous years? Well, what people got to remember, like, we're still, it's first full year for all these kids. You know what I'm saying? So at the end of the day, I thought, well, if we get pitching, we're going to have a chance, you know, because pitching and defense win. I, I had a meeting in spring training talking to all the, all the players saying, we're, we're going to do okay if we pitch and we catch the ball. Because everybody talks about our offense, but at the end of the day, you got to pitch and catch the ball. And that's what we have done lately, and that's what we're doing so well. So, yeah, it's it's, it's a good group. But don't forget, this, this first full year for all these kids. 
People yeah, forget about that. Well, yeah. well, you make me. If there's one team that makes me feel completely old, it's the Blue Jays because <laughs> I played against all their dads. <laughs> <laughs> Literally true. <laughs> I was. I, I was. I was. Uh, that's my claim to fame. I was hitting cleanup behind Black and Red on Double A. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's kept, a good they, one. They kept pitching to him. I said, "Dude, are you guys crazy?" <laughs> 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 we'll get back to that in a second. I, I, I want to get back to something that you just touched on, though, which is something that it feels like the world has taken for granted that you had three home parks this year, and if you go back to last year. You spent over 600 days on the road without ever playing a single home game. Uh, so much I want to ask you about that. Is that a rallying point for your team? And how did your team ever endure that and find itself on the verge of making the postseason? I think uh, talking to them uh, at the beginning of spring training, not making any excuses because it is what it is. You know, nobody's going to feel sorry for us because we're on the road the whole time. I think we we talked about that from the beginning. And credit to our players, they follow that. Okay, it is what it is. This is what we need to do. All right, we're going to play in Dunedin until so on, and we're going to have to move our families to Buffalo and then this and that. So uh, the whole time they haven't making excuses. So they deserve to be here at this moment. It's, it's good, good for them because the whole time they never made excuses. That's impressive. And, you know, just – like one speech doesn't make that happen. It feels like that can't happen unless the manager and the coaches set a tone. So how did you, what, what was your role in making sure all these young players kept playing, kept pushing and kept their sanity? Just, just, you said it, having a good coaching staff, having meeting, meetings with the coaching staff and talking to the guys every day. Let's just keep working. Don't, doesn't matter where we play, you know, let's, Keep doing what you're doing, and, and our coaching staff has done a great job. But at the end of the day, you got to have quality kids too, and we do have that. You know, we get we got good players, and not only good players, they're good people too. Well, I think uh, Charlie about the journey. You mentioned all the years in the minor leagues, and I and I saw you in Durham uh, a, a few times. Uh, you know, the process of just getting this opportunity, the interviews, and and the legacy from Puerto Rico. What was that like, and the perseverance to sort of Finally, wait and wait and keep at it, and then get this opportunity to to major to be a major league manager. Because I was never looking for it. I was just doing my job at hand, trying to help the racing at the AAA level, help the kids go to the big leagues and stuff. So it was never really a goal, you know. And it's funny. Uh, and then what? Fourteen years ago, thirteen years ago, I had a kid that was born with multiple heart problems and stuff. So. My job in, in life has been to have insurance for my kids. So it doesn't matter where I was, you know, as long as I have a job, I have insurance for my kids. So that's what my life became, you know. So I was happy in, in, in Durham doing my job, you know, and but very grateful to 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 March Apiro and Ross Atkins for this opportunity. I don't take this for granted. And I left a great place with the race. You know, I was happy with Kevin Cash, that you know, the race to do a great job. So it was tough to leave that place. But very grateful to to Mark and Russ for this opportunity for sure. You, you know, I think back to that winter after 2018. Um, you, know, you and Rocco Baldelli, your good friend from the Rays coaching staff, all of a sudden 
you're both up for multiple managing jobs. What was the some of the back and forth between you two guys that winter as you were offered these jobs? Well, it was all about Rocco, of course. It, it was, just, you know, <laughs> <laughs> the young kid, prospect, you know, good looking. They say good looking, you know. So, <laughs> so most good looking manager in baseball, right? Yeah. Did he win that contest? Two years in a row or three years in a row, you know? So, yeah, that's a fact. Yeah. So, so you know, nobody wants anybody to get fired, right? But when, when rumors comes out of, of somebody coming, getting about to get fired or something might happen, I, I, I take that, that, that media guy and put it in his locker. There's what I'm <laughs> and So by the time the year was over, he had like five or seven in his so and then and then it's funny how it happened to me because I figured okay so we won 90 games maybe somebody might call you know and then it happened I just landed in Tucson when Cincinnati called for for that job and then that that took a long time you know and then of course we all know we didn't I didn't get it and then it was a Sunday afternoon uh, Eric Neander calls and said Toronto wants to talk to you and I go come on man you sleep me alone. <laughs> I'm good. I'm happy with you guys. Well, yeah, you know, and honestly, honestly, I said, is it a talking interview? You know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, okay, you know, just no, no, no. They're really interested, you know? All right. You don't want me anymore. It's fine. I'll do it. <laughs> so Ross calls it an hour later. I talked to him, you know, that night, the next day I interviewed all day over the phone Tuesday morning and driving to the airport at six in the morning to go to Toronto and I'm thinking, man, what am I doing? You know, <laughs> anyway, I and in, 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 in Toronto, I do a mock interview. I had Richard Griffin, which was tough, making me tough questions and stuff, you know, all stuff. Wednesday, I come back home. Thursday, Ross calls, you got the job. So after wow. that many years, 28 years in the minor leagues and 18 years managing and all this stuff, that's how that's how quick it happened. So if it happens to me, any minor league managers listening to me, it could happen to you. That's for sure. In four days, you went from not even in the rumor mill to you have the job. <laughs> yes. Incredible. Wow. And yeah. I mean, what what was what was the uh, you know what was the interview like, or how did you? prepared and did that preparation sort of work well i guess in that interview clearly it did <laughs> so so when when you don't think you have a chance a lot of times you're more relaxed you know and we don't really want something so you're more relaxed so all i did was i just called luis rivera who, who was watching for, for the blue jays you know something about you guys like was no time for me to prepare you know so and then kevin cash before i left he called me actually before the interview said man just be yourself you'll get it you know and that was that was I just was myself. I didn't try to be anybody that I wasn't, and I guess it worked out. <laughs> hey, I want to ask you about um, your your team a little bit. Uh, obviously, I want to ask you about Vladdy, but before I ask you about Vladdy's season, I, I need to ask you about Vladdy's father. Uh, you you mentioned that you hit cleanup behind Vladimir Guerrero in Double A. This was. 1996, I think, your final season 96. playing minor league baseball. The Expos signed you and sent you to double A because they wanted you to mentor their best young player in the minor leagues. And it was Vlad Guerrero. What is your memory of that season with Vlad? 
So, so this is how it happened. Uh, Jason, uh, 96, I signed back with the Expos, right? So I go to spring training and you know, Doug, you've been around when you go in there, you go, Oh, I don't have a chance to make the triple A club. Here. <laughs> <laughs> so Bill Gaibet, Bill Gaibet was the fan director, you know, and he, he said, you know, Hey, I heard you want to be a coach someday. So would you mind going to double A and help the kids? And I go, I'm in, you know, and that, Right before that happened, I saw Tom Foley, who was going to become the fund director for the Devil Rays. And I told Tom, hey, listen, uh, I think this is going to be my last year playing. So if you're looking for coaches and stuff, think of me. So the best thing I did was that I went to Double A and it was, wasn't was only Black Guerrero. It was Jose Bidro, Jeff oh, yeah. Blum. Yeah. I mean, all those guys, the whole team playing the big leagues. It was like, oh, my God. It was like a... I was coaching. I ended up playing kind of too much. I go, man, I don't want to. <laughs> I ended That's up playing, playing first place, which means every, any basic to right, I got to rush to first. <laughs> 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 so, they weren't so paying I, you enough, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I finished that year. And then here comes Tom Foley calls calls when the year was over offered me the Princeton West Virginia job to manage in, in Princeton West Virginia and that's how it started in 97. Wow. <laughs> yeah, you were like that's a real you were like a real life Crash Davis, like, you know, Bull Durham, <laughs> you know, like you you kind of like you go and say got to teach the kid, you know. That's, that's <laughs> that is awesome. It's true. So when did you first meet Vlad Jr.? Uh with the, he came he came for a trial or something. He came to, to Toronto. The race happened to be playing there when he came up to hit BP. You know how they do the, the, oh. in the field. And then his dad was there. So I got to talk to his son a little bit and, of course, talk to, to Blatt Sr. It's amazing how you – know, who writes these scripts, huh, that the, that the world <laughs> spins and you wind up managing Vlad Jr.? But let me ask you about him because uh, he transformed himself – in pretty much every way between last season and this season. Can you describe the conversation that you had with him at the end of last year, uh, the message you delivered, and why you think it got through? So, okay, so he deserves all the credit. Let me start with right there with the work that he did this offseason. I, I came from I – flew to, I flew from Tucson to, to St. Pete to meet with him and Ross. We flew down to talk to him, you know, to talk about the plans in the off season. And, and I go, Vlad, you're one of the few guys that if you lose this many pounds, you're an okay player. If you lose this many pounds, you, you're even better. If you lose this many pounds, you're going to be one of the best players in baseball. And to his credit, we said, I've never seen like that. You know, it's not about getting, because he, he's got it all. And he did. He, what a great off season he had. And when I saw him in spring training, he said, oh, look out, look out. <laughs> and now... <laughs> And that's what he's doing. I'm telling you, this guy is fun to watch every day. And not only that, he's humble, just like his dad. What a great kid. You know, he's a great teammate. He, I'm telling you, he could go over four. We win. You'll see a big smile come out of the field. And you, you, the stuff, to, you know, when you're a young guy, you want to get hits and stuff, you know. He's always happy. When the team wins, he's always happy. And, of course, most of the time he's done something for us to win a game. But, yeah. Yeah. It's what a great kid, and he deserves everything he's got for that for that work he did this offseason. He he doesn't go for four very much. Now I know you you said you don't know the what where you are in the standings, but you are aware there's that Vlad is in an MVP debate with Shohei Otani. You've heard about that, right? 
Yes, and I'm and I'm biased. I am biased <laughs> for Blatt. Really, for I wonder. Sure. I wonder who you. I wonder who you vote for. <laughs> yeah, Blatty for sure. Yeah, yeah. No, no offense, to Tani. Which what he's doing is not easy to do, but I, I, you know, but Blatt, what he's done at his age, it's 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 unbelievable. I mean, I I, I use Jack Buck every day. What? I just don't believe what I just saw. That line driver <laughs> out of the ballpark, baseman jumped. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I've never seen a home run get out of any park faster than that home run he hit over the weekend. Actually, it does almost every other day. And, <laughs> and you know what? If you don't throw him a strike, he'll take a walk. Which yeah, is he takes impressive his walk. to me. Like he's not chasing yeah. records. If you don't throw him a strike, he'll take a walk, which is more impressive to me than what he's doing when he hits. Yeah, you know, people act like the triple crown doesn't mean anything in this day and age. What do you think it means in the year 2021? Oh, it means a lot to me. I think that's great. <laughs> Believe me, I'm old school like that. That's awesome. That's not easy to do. <laughs> that's why not many people have done it. <laughs> it means a lot to me because I see it every day. I see a guy fighting, doing that every day. That's not easy to do. <laughs> that's why it should be the MVP because he's close to winning that. Or, or You know yeah. what I'm saying? That's- well, I mean, it, it, show, it shows like multiple skills around hitting because as you mentioned if you're not disciplined you might lose the average or if you are disciplined you might lose the chance to hit the home runs because you're taking your walk and that's what makes it so amazing and how he's honed in on it so well it's, he's, he's so balanced uh at an excellent level in, in every category and two guys in front of him have they might get 100 rbi so they took some of the rbis from him and many times he took the walk yeah sometimes he took the walk not chasing and and left it for Teoscar Hernandez in in behind him you know so or 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 Bo now that's that's just who he is you you know you mentioned Marcus Simeon um new new to your team this year George Springer new to your team this year what have those two guys in particular meant to your team and the way they fit in with your young players so with Simeon his work ethic this guy does the same thing every day, which is a great example for our young guys, you know, to play full season, see how somebody works. You know, actually, sometimes it works like too much. I was like, wow, slow down a little bit. But no, that's why he's had success because he knows what he needs to do every day. We do optional BP, he hits. Optional ground balls, he hits. He gets here at the same time every day. Uh, same work ethic. Uh, goes to the to the weight room. It's unbelievable to watch. And nobody deserves to have a good year like he's having just because – he deserves it. You know what I'm saying? Because, I mean, the same thing every day. And the other guys are following the footsteps. And then when it comes to George, it's been a little bit tougher for George because he's been hurt. But, man, what a great guy. And that makes it easier on me when your highest paid guy, it's a great guy. That makes it a lot easier to, to manage at, at this level. And he's a great teammate. He, he's, you know, he's helping the guys. He, he's, he's almost a mentor to the guys, you know, because he's been around. He's, he's, gone, he's done everything in baseball. And by the way, when he's healthy, he's a pretty good player too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, and just and and just watching, you know, how rewarding has it been to watch all those styles, levels, ages, talents, legacies come together in the way that they've come together. So that's why uh, our translator, who's the most famous translator in baseball, uh, people talk about. Make that jacket, <laughs> la gente del barrio, you know, the people from the neighborhood, because they're from we're from everywhere, you know, and they all get along, which is awesome. 
You're talking about the home run jacket. That jacket's getting <laughs> a lot of use. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, I, Charlie, I do want to ask you a little bit about your own playing career because you played, as you mentioned, you played 10 seasons in the minor leagues. And I, I know that people wouldn't consider you to have been a star, but it was obvious you could play. You played multiple positions. You had more walks and strikeouts every year. And then finally, 1993, you're 27 years old. The Expos call you up. And I know you had to drive from Ottawa to Montreal. Is it true you got lost and almost didn't make it to the park on time? Yes. Yes. So what happened? So it was, it was September 6th. It was the first game of the playoffs of Ottawa. Uh, uh, and then I didn't play the first game. Mike Quaddy was a manager. So the next day he calls and then he says around two o'clock, you want to play today? And I go, yeah, I don't know why I didn't play yesterday. Well, yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> and then he said, well, you're going to go play for the Expos. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. So because I was in the mountains for so long, I didn't even call my family. Say, I'm, I'm going to call. I'm sitting in that dugout. I might call just to make sure it, <laughs> they don't change their mind. <laughs> <laughs> so now I rented a car, drove to Montreal. Got lost. Stopped at a gas station. Spoke French. I'm still lost. Got to the ballpark at 7 o'clock, 7.15 game. Said hello to Felipe. Sat in that dugout until the eighth inning that uh, – uh, I forget who, who's the bench coach. He came and said, hey, if they bring the lefty, Gary Wayne, you're going to pinch it. And that's how it happened. I went to hit, man on second base. Uh, I asked Marcus Grissom, uh, what should I do? And he goes, it's your bat, buddy. All right. <laughs> <laughs> So the first pitch was a ball, second pitch, a line drive up the middle, a run score. Now Bedlam comes in the ninth inning, one to three, uh, game over. And I wasn't nervous to go hit, but I was nervous to go on the field because I haven't taken ground ball there at all or fly balls or anything. But when I came in, shut the door, and, and that was my day. <laughs> and then I called wow. my family, okay, I think you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't pinch yourself. This happened. Yeah. And, you know, we, we do a lot of trivia on this show, so that leads to a great trivia question. Who's the last player in the major leagues to hit 400? I'll give you a hint. He played for the 93 Expos. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> that, and don't forget, Jason, don't forget my three RBIs. <laughs> yeah, so two for five. Three RBIs. That's a so you're 400 hitter in the big leagues, excellent at bat to RBI ratio. You ever tell your players about what a great hitter you were in the big leagues? You know what's funny? I have a funny one with with Andrew Freeman when he was with the Rays. You know, he he said, "Man, I just look at your numbers. You were 400 on base percentage in the mound league. You know, like if you you you, you could if you if you were playing right now, you could come up with us in the big leagues." And I said. I could coach it. (laughs) 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 Right, he didn't even look at your big league numbers. It's that on base in the minors that got his attention. Amazing. (laughs) All right, so we we've touched on this a couple times now. Before we let you go, you played winter ball with the great, the legendary (laughs) Doug Glanville. What do you remember about that? So. it's not because what he just said about me, but uh, it's it's the same for me to, to say the same thing about him. You know, uh, what a great teammate, uh, great player, by the way. He could do everything. Uh, he spoke Spanish. He 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 was one of those guys that came from the states and and, and loved 
our culture in Puerto Rico. Like he embraced it, you know, and and so he became one of us, you know. He we, we love Doug Lambilla. One of the reasons that we play so well. We actually had a great manager, Tom Gamboa, which is I learned a lot from him too. What a what a what a great guy. By the way, I use his signs, Dougie. The whole time, all the way to the mile links, the skin, all that stuff. I didn't use them because of, of Tom Gamboa. But back to Doggy, what a great teammate. And, of course, very happy for all the success he's had in, in the big leagues and stuff because he's earned it. I know the guy who's earned it went down to winning ball and got better and rest is history. Yeah, Charlie, man. I mean, as you know, Puerto Rico was transformational in my life. I mean, I can't even use a, a, a lighter word than that. And it was so much bigger than what I learned on the field, which was a whole lot. It was just the fact that I had a culture that embraced me as family. And maybe my Trinidadian island roots connected well. But uh, you know, I picked up Spanish from excellent teachers in junior high and high school. And I remember going on that caravan, right, the first year. And, you know, they started calling me Alcalde. I, I gave a speech in some, I'm not even sure where we were. <laughs> it's just like, I was just like, went in all in. I was so happy to be there. But it was teammates like yourself that just made it easy, you know, just saying, you know, here's how we do it and, and just opened up. I mean, Roberto Hernandez had me over for Thanksgiving, you know, just every night they knew that, you know, we were from you know, a different part of the country in mainland US or whatever you want to call it. And I knew that, and every night some players say, hey, you okay? You need a home-cooked meal. You want to come over for dinner? Uh, I was just amazed at that, that everybody looked out for you. So um, so that, you know, changed everything. And it sort of propelled me to, you know, who I am, not just on the field. I mean, that was important, but it was just the fact that I felt validated and welcome. So uh, I appreciate that, Charlie, because you were at the center of it. Absolutely. Thanks, buddy. All right, one more thing before we let you go. Who walked more on that team? <laughs> you were Glendale. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Well, he hit. He hit more than I do. I'm sure I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Doug, is Charlie that about was, right? You hit. Oh, Charlie yeah. walked. You were the MVP of that season, right? Were you the MVP? I was. I was. I was MVP, and yeah. uh, and yeah. I remember beat Roberto Hernan uh, Roberto Alomar, uh, Jr. and and uh, I'm sorry, Roberto Alomar. I'm saying, just thinking of Sandy. Yeah. And he 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 even said in the press, like, I can't believe they gave it to me. I'm from Puerto Rico, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so so I was unconscious. I was really unconscious there. But Charlie, he he like stayed inside and just foul balls off and could carve it the other way. <laughs> I mean, his counts every time he was up. It seemed like it was three-two. It was it was something with the with the oldest batting stand ever. People make yeah. fun of my batting stand. <laughs> you had the stance. You had the stance. And we had some characters, and and we remember we beat the we beat the dream team. I mean, we yes, were, we were a good team. We knocked off a team that had Alomar and Delgado, uh, Edgar Martinez, Juan, Edgar Martinez, Ooh. Juan Gonzalez. Yeah, I mean, I'll yeah. tell you, we had a heck of a team. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, Charlie, I want you to know that I asked him that, that question about the walks off air, and he said, Charlie walked more that winter than I walked my whole career. <laughs> <laughs> Which sounds about right. <laughs> All right, Charlie, we know how busy the life of a big league manager is. It's September. So uh, we're honored that you took the time to join us. It's such an important time. Thank you. All the best. And I hope our paths cross in October. Thank you, guys. What a great time I just had. Thank you, you guys. Well, Doug, 
It's that time again. It's time for listener trivia, our way of involving you, our favorite listeners in this show. And as embarrassing as it may be for us, we continue every darn week to literally involve you by picking a trivia question from one of our lucky listeners and then inviting that very lucky listener to join us on this podcast to stump us with yet one more question. We'll tell you how you can do that in just a few minutes. Uh, So, uh, Doug, this week, in honor of Charlie Montoyo and the Blue Jays, we put out a call for Triple Crown questions, and we got quite a few good ones. But after we selected this question, we did something I don't think we've ever done. Uh, We asked the listener to edit the question just so we could give ourselves at least a prayer of answering it. So are we allowed (laughs) to do that? Is that okay? Yeah, I like it. I think, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm all for it. I'm certainly all for it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Edit, editing questions. Let's let's file that away as a future emergency tip. Um, but in the meantime, let's bring in this week's special trivia guest star and ask him if it's okay. It's Tim Lundberg. Tim, welcome to Starkville. Hey, thanks. Appreciate you having me on. And it's absolutely okay. It's your show. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So just for the record now, everybody. Tim has agreed to modify his question to make it easier for us, even though we're going to get it wrong anyway. Is that correct, Tim? (laughs) That is correct. Okay. So we got that out of the way. Next thing. You've got quite the catchy trivia name. You identify yourself on Twitter as you'll get a non sequitur and like it. (laughs) So what's behind that name? And uh, you had to be worried that a hundred other people on Twitter had already jumped on that one before you, huh? Yeah, I thought I might have to put uh, several digits after that one, but no, it just, it relates to my uh, sense of humor and uh, wordplay, I think, is the lowest form of humor or highest form, depending on your perspective, so I kind of go with that. <laughs> okay, you've come to the right place, Tim. Uh, I'm going to guess that our answers to your question will contain some kind of memorable non sequitur. So here we go. <laughs> I'm counting uh, Tim, on it. Yeah, Tim, um, I don't know. Do you want, you want to start by asking your original question and we can explain how we narrowed it down or just what do you want to ask us? We can do it that way. I'll, I can just jump right in. It was originally a, a question concerning the three triple crown categories, but to make it a little easier on you, I'm going to give you one of the answers right off the bat and let you guys figure out the other two, if that's all right. Yeah, it's definitely all right. Doug, you're yeah, on that? that. I'm I'm good. That just uh, raised our odds by a certain percentile. I like that. <laughs> okay, thirty three percent, I believe. Yep. Yeah, without even thinking. Yeah, didn't have to take your shoes off. Okay, <laughs> um, I'll I'll jump right in. Willie Mays is the player who ranks highest on the career RBI list without having won a single season title in that category. Mm-hmm. Who are the two players highest on the career? home run and batting average lists without a single season title in, in those categories. Mm. Wow. First off, Willie Mays never won an RBI title. That's yeah, that's, amazing. that's very cool. Um, also, um, j- just so I'm clear, we, we had asked or begged or something if we could confine this to players <laughs> whose careers started after 1900, just so we weren't that trying is, to think of who did what in 1988 or 1888. 
Yeah, that is correct. The, the, the answers are not obscure players. Okay. I, I think this is still pretty impossible, but uh, we're, we're looking <laughs> for the player. It's only 121 years. No <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, hey, it, it's better than trying to parse through that 19th century. Trust me. So we're looking for the player with the most career homers who yes. never led the league in any season. Doug and I will yes. both tackle that one. Right. And yep. the player with the highest career batting average who never won a batting title because somehow or other Doug cheated and <laughs> does know the answer to that one. I actually know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, I was tipped um, off. All right. So I guess you want me to start with the, the batting average one since yeah. um, sure. I'm on my own on that one? Go for like, it. I, I, you know, see, this is really hard because I'm guessing – it was a long time ago, um, somewhere in the early 1900s, uh, because batting averages were so much higher then. Plus, you had guys like Ty Cobb and Rogers Hornsby, <laughs> Hannes Wagner. They won the batting title every year. So who even knew who finished second, third, fifth, whatever? Um, I don't have a, a really good guess on this, Tim, but can I give a, just a fun guess? Sure. A fun guess would be Babe Ruth, because he's a guy who had a really high career batting average, but nobody remembers whether he won any batting titles because he won so many home run titles. So I, I'm going to guess Babe Ruth on that I one. I like that. I like any, that answer. Any chance? That's a that's a, a pretty cool guess, but it's uh, a, a different player from just a bit earlier. <laughs> um, and... and Say it ain't so would be my clue. Say it ain't so. Oh my this god. Is not, this is not Hall Notes. It, it's, it's not Hall Notes. It's <laughs> it isn't so. <laughs> okay, that's a slightly different quote. Okay, but um, we're gonna try to keep Hall Notes out of this because obviously that means it was shoeless Joe. And this isn't even our first shoeless Joe question that we've missed yeah. <laughs> in the last few weeks. So, all right. So, but does this mean we've already gone down a defeat, or we have to let Doug? Well, I, well, I think Tim. Tim slipped in there. He says you don't even have to take your shoes off. He he slipped that in. Yeah, he did. <laughs> oh, he's God. Very, he's very slick. I am. Not. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta pay closer attention to the non sequiturs. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, let, 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 why don't the two of us tackle the home run thing? Because yeah, all right. that Let's feels like it's the most gettable anyway. It's got to be more recent. Um, it is. I, th I thought of a few names. Uh, Eddie Murray immediately mm -hmm. came Good to one. mind because I feel like I, 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 he he feels like the he's been the answer to this question before. But I'm worried that he tied for the league lead one year. I'm not sure. Rafael Palmero, there's another one, a guy in the 500 Homer Club. I don't recall him leading the league. I'm sure I'm wrong. Um, Manny Ramirez, that's another one. Just fits the same profile. So Eddie Murray, Rafael Palmero, Manny Ramirez, that means they're all wrong. Doug, what do you got on that? <laughs> yeah, I mean... You know, I just thought of it like who compile, you know, the criticism sometimes, right, with Hall of Fame is like these compilers, right? They just, they played so long, it's like the numbers. And I was trying to think of somebody who played a long time, but I, I actually like Rafael Palmero. Um, I was on the, on his team, I was there for his, I think it was right. his 400th home run. 
And um, and he was, you know, well into the 500s uh, by the time he stopped playing. I don't remember him winning a batting title. I mean, a home run title. So, I mean, you know, David Ortiz, Eddie Murray I had on my list, Mickey Mantle, Crime Dog. I always hear Crime Dog. You know, he's one of those guys. But if I, yeah, my, my guess, if I if I had to pick one, I'd, I'd, I'd take Palmero. That would be my guess. Uh I, I like this. Um, Paul, I mean, Palmero. I mean, if we guess it, it'll mean that it's wrong. But uh, <laughs> why don't we just get it over with, man? Uh, uh, Tim, is there any chance that the answer to that part of the question is Rafael Palmero? You guys are awesome. Rafael oh. Palmero is 13th all time, and yes. he is the highest on the career list without a, a home run title. All right, yeah. Single season I'm, home run I'm title. Still, I could dance, right? I could. I could That's right. Yeah, yeah. Doug, Very nice. Doug, <laughs> Doug, for those. Interestingly enough, when I was yeah. checking, double checking my answers, looking in the RBI list, who was next down the RBI list without a title? It's also Rafael. It's also Rafael, <laughs> right? Right, because you're looking for those guys who were just steady and put up numbers every year, but never had the the monster year. Yeah, right. the 60 yep. homer year. So. All right. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So I, all right. All right. So for, if Doug is doing a little victory dance there on yeah. Zoom. Doug, you right, want to like, gloat a little? I can, you know, because I, I was like, I hit a thousand today. I batted a thousand. Absolutely. In, in the, so I feel like, you know, you know, we have to talk to the mayor here, but uh, yeah, I feel yeah, like yeah. that's, we get, should get some sort of credit in this yeah, thing. Yeah. Okay. All right. The, the uh, tie, uh, maybe? Let, yeah, let's, let's bring in the mayor. <laughs> the mayor and Tim can decide. How does this work? Does this count as one we got right? Does it count as one we got half right? Does Doug get all the credit and I get no credit? How are we doing this? I think solely based off of dancing skills, Doug deserves all the credit. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I've ever seen a Zoom chat where you're doing a little shoulder shimmy back and forth and it's worth the whole point. Yes, I had to to throw some sway into it there. I think a half point's fair. Tim, Tim, okay, would you... What would you rule here? Is this <laughs> a, is this correct? Are that we is, half correct? Or we, we are <laughs> Doug just, I'll give just you a Doug point, correct. Point and a half. Full points to Doug. You did a great job of hosting the segment. And, <laughs> no, you you agreed with Doug. So, he did. Yeah, he, I, I gotta he give you credit my, for that. You agreed I, with yeah. Doug, so I'll give you credit for that. All right. So yeah. pa- on on the pass fail scale. Doug's a pass, and I moderated. Yes. <laughs> that, that's the rule. What the heck? Hey, I, where, I, where I did, would we be without you? That's a good point. I did okay. serve up the name Rafael Palmero before Doug yes. said it. Yes. This is true. Very good. And, and I was very clear in my yourself. conviction. I was very nope. clear in my conviction on this, which was rare. Yeah. But I was like, I like that answer. You were on that. So I, I don't like. I don't know what we are now. We're like we're a rec. What's our record? Our record is like four tie. and a half and eighteen and a half. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> okay. one tie. Well, we'll have to have the Elias Sports Bureau settle that one. But, <laughs> All right. But, but whatever. Now, if you listen regularly, you know whether we get the question right or we get the question wrong or we get the question half right or just Doug gets it right. Somewhere along the line, we still bring in our mayor. In this case our acting mayor, Cameron Molina, to provide the highlight for this segment, literally, with some epic play-by-play moment involving one of our answers. So, Mayor Cam, what do you got for us today? 
Yeah, to commemorate Tim's Grand Slam question, uh, I don't have a Grand Slam bite, but I do have a nice <laughs> walk-off from Rafael Palmero in 2001 against the Royals. Three and two to Palmero. Out of the stretch, the big right-hander Hernandez kicks and fires, and the pitch is sent in the air to deep right center field. Back is Quinn. Back is Beltron at the wall. Game winner. Home run, Palmero. His 41st of the year. They stream out of the dugout and wait for Rafi at home plate. The Rangers have won it in 12 by a score of 4-3. to All righty. You know, it's not, it's not often in this day and age that you still get to celebrate Rafael Palmero doing anything. <laughs> okay. Nice. And but nice we're celebrating. Back. Nice clap back to me since I'm a Royals fan. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Tim is not celebrating that still <laughs> 20 years later. And uh, nobody's celebrating it really except Doug, who he, now because he thinks he got a question half right and I just was <laughs> moderating. He's in total control of this show. So. We've we've completely gone off the rails here, Tim. Thanks to you. Okay, good work. Any, any good work. <laughs> you, you you've done fine work, but uh, Tim, thank you so much for joining us here on Starkville. That was a great question, except for the part that I got wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Strange but true. Okay, now that we've got that trivia train wreck out of the way, <laughs> it's time to do something we actually enjoy, or that I actually enjoy. It's the Strange But True segment, in which we recap our favorite Strange But True things of the week. And this week, we need to talk about a ridiculous game uh, that involves Doug's two most prominent former teams. This was last Thursday night. Uh, Cubs versus Phillies. Uh, the plot line of this game is the Cubs take a 7-0 lead in the third inning. So obviously, they're home free, right, Doug? <laughs> no. Uh, not at all. Not, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> no. So let's listen to one just, all right, little montage of what happened next. One, two, pitch. Opposite way for McCutcheon. Going back on his rebounds. It's over his head. A one hop off the wall. Two runs will score. McCutcheon goes to second. Two run double. It's a 7 2 game. Broken bat looper back toward the middle. A base hit. One run is in. Here comes Segura. Heading home. And the Phillies have tied the game. There's a base hit it to center field. Gene keeps it rolling. McCutcheon scores. Veerling scores. Two-run hit for Segura. The hits just keep on coming. 17 to 8. It's Tom McCarthy on NBC Sports Philadelphia. Getting a little excited because this was a game on which the Cubs led by seven runs and then lost by nine runs. <laughs> that is really, really hard to do, even for the Cubs, wouldn't you say, Doug? Yeah, I mean, I heard someone in the background say, oh, no. It's crocky. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, and the scary thing is this happened earlier in the season against the Brewers. Yeah. I think it was we'll another, this. yeah, seven runs. So, 
Uh, wow. I mean, <laughs> so I, yeah. I just, um, yeah, that, that's a turn of events that is hard to explain. <laughs> I know. Well, they're the Cubs, so you can explain it that way. But let's let, let me rip through a, a few of my favorite strange but true nuggets. Uh, that's the second time this year that the Phillies have trailed in a game seven to nothing and then won that game. Also did that against the Nationals a few weeks ago. So they've got that down. And it's also the second time, as you just mentioned, Doug, that the Cubs have led a game 7-0 and lost it. Also did that against the Brewers in June and at a third game against the White Sox. What was this? This was last month, right? Led 6-0 in the first inning. Also lost that one. So that's leads of seven runs, seven runs, and six runs which if I'm doing the math right, that's 20 runs worth of leads in games that they wound up losing by 21 runs. <laughs> Isn't that impossible? <laughs> a, I mean, it's, I'm trying to, there must be like a football analogy in there, you know, like halftime up 42 to nothing or something. I mean, it's a, that is a yeah. humongous lead. And I want to say, wasn't the Brewers game, they, they rattled off like 10 runs. They had like a huge inning in that one too. So I think the Phillies did too with the 17 runs. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, the pitching, you know, they, I mean, Tapera is out the door, Kimbrel went out the door, you know, Chafin, you know, and they lost all these really star pitchers that I know anchored them all season. And that was it. They just kinda... People know what happened to the Cubs. They do. <laughs> <laughs> but, all right, here's the bottom line of that game. One more nugget. The Cubs led by seven, lost by nine. Doug, would you like to guess how many times in the history of the National League, we're talking about almost a century and a half, any team has led a game by seven runs or more and lost by at least nine runs? Oh, I, has that ever happened? <laughs> I'll go zero. The, zero is correct. In the history of the National League, this is the first time ever. Oh, my God. So, uh, Doug, here's what we like to do at times like this. I want you to recall one more time your most famous epic collapse in a game. Not you personally, <laughs> your team. And I know where you're going with this. People listen <laughs> regularly. They must know where you're going with it. But we love playing Doug's greatest hits on this show. So we're going to let you play this one one more time. Let's hear it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this was, um, well, the interesting connection is Jim Deshays went to this college, and this is LeMoyne College. LeMoyne! And, I've been yes. there. So he went to LeMoyne, and, and John Ratliff, who was the first-round pick for the Cubs, also LeMoyne, they, they, uh, they had actually a really good team. So in, in 1990, I believe it was, it was the, let's see, let me think about that, 80, yeah, so 1990, we, University of Pennsylvania, we make the regionals. And actually, it might have been 89, 89, 89. But anyway, make the regionals, and it's in Waterbury, Connecticut. We have a really good team because we had quite a few guys get drafted off that team. We had a good rotation, a bunch of seniors. So we were feeling pretty good about our chances. So we go to the, you know, we make the regionals, and we're placed, uh, we're Arizona State, Arkansas, some pretty good players. Illinois then was a Big Ten champion. And, you know, we had, there was no respect for us, but we ended up knocking off Illinois the first game. And I know running off the field, they're like, how are we losing to these guys? They just couldn't <laughs> believe it. So we beat them. They were like making kind of a noise. And then we play LeMoyne. And LeMoyne, the weather was supposed to be bad. Our starting pitcher was a senior. 
uh, or junior senior, and he ended up going perfect five innings. Well, we're up 13 to nothing at this point. And rain comes, all that. And of course, this isn't like an official game. You have to finish the game. So they suspend it. And our pitcher, you know, the next day, he couldn't go. He pitched five perfect innings. So we had to start our closer and all that. But we're like, who cares? We could throw anybody out there. We're winning 13 to nothing. <laughs> and I think right away, we actually score another run. So it's like 14 to nothing now. So we're feeling pretty good. And then all of a sudden, it was almost like the divine intervention came in. I mean, we had an All-American shortstop, Joe Delacari, who made he made like three errors in like his pen career, and he made like three in that game. Uh, we made like six <laughs> fielding errors. I mean, everything went wrong, and you could actually feel it. Like, man, I don't know if we're going to stop. They thought about bringing me in because when I first got the pen as a freshman, I was also a pitcher, but I hadn't pitched all year, and so I was like, you know, so they 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 thought about it. So even though, so they ended up scoring three in the, I think it was the seventh, they played nine, whatever, three in the seventh, five, I think seven in the eighth, and five in the ninth. <laughs> and we actually oh, tied no. it. So it was like 15 to 15 going into extra innings. Uh, completely blew this lead. And and eventually we had to bring in one of our ace pitcher starters later as, uh, you know, things started, you know, getting late. It was extra innings. And the guy hits like a pinch hit, three-run home run off him, who had four at-bats on the entire season. He was like one for four with a single. And he had a home run to to take the lead. And then we scored like one run. So we ended up losing 18 to 16 after being up 15 or 14 to nothing by the sixth or seventh inning and, and just completely collapsed. So, I mean, I still try to capture the emotion. First of all, it's the quietest bus ride from like Waterbury, Connecticut to Pennsylvania. Like, I don't think anybody spoke. I mean, it was just like, and of course, even the parents of the other team just felt horrible for us because we, but I know at the time that was the largest lead blown in like NCAA tournament history. I don't know if it still stands, but uh, I'm not sure anybody can really break that record. So that is the uh, the comeback. So you talk about seven nothing in the Cubs, seven nothing. We were up fourteen to nothing. Now we didn't lose by ten runs, but we lost. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you should have played your nickel back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know like, what happened there. Oh, uh, no, no explanation. Well, you, it you, just you, felt divine. You know, you just had a feeling like. I don't know how we're going to stop this. We kept making errors. And even going into the ninth, we're up by five runs, and we felt like we had no control of the game. I mean, it was a weird feeling. That's, you know, that's how baseball go. <laughs> that's it's baseball. A, it's, a ver- it's a very strange but true sport, which is what we love about it, except for that day. Doug didn't love it that much. <laughs> Doug, one more thing. No. You know, we talk every week about how we are s- sponsored by Tops and Tops Project 70. And I thought we should just take a couple minutes and talk about baseball cards. Talk about Topps baseball cards. And why don't we do this? Now, you played nine seasons in the big leagues. So, of course, you had many beautiful Topps baseball cards with your mug on them. But here's the shocker, man. I have my own (laughs) Topps card, too. Uh, I was part of the – it was the 2017, I think – the Allen and Ginter Classic Card Series. And Doug, my card, I want to tell you, man, is one valuable commodity. Um, the last time I looked on eBay, did you know you can get a Jason Stark <laughs> Topps baseball card for 34 cents? 
Oh my God. 30, 34 big cents. Now I should say there's actually a framed version of it that goes for five bucks, but oh, my right. going rate is somewhere in that range of 34 to 75 cents. So how about oh. that Glanville? Yeah, that that's impressive. Uh, do you have any like baseball equipment? Are you, do you have like a bat or ball, anything in your hand in this photo, or is it sort of very announcerish? You, you, you know, if I uh, if I had it to do over again, I would I would bring a bat or a ball or something. But in, instead, for some reason, they suggested, "Well, do you have like any official photos of you?" And so I had one of those photos of me and wearing a wearing a suit and tie. And so I'm in the card wearing a suit and tie. If I could edit my card, <laughs> there'd be no suit, there'd be no tie, there would be a bat, there'd be a ball, there'd be some more informal attire. But enough about that. Uh, I did some searching for how much the Doug Glanville cards are going for on eBay. And um, you topped out in my search at 12 bucks. So since I topped wow. out at five bucks, I'm <laughs> actually not as far behind you as I thought. What do you make of that? Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised. I thought you were going to say 12 cents. I, I, I'm, I'm very thrilled. <laughs> uh, I guess if you go back to my rookie cards and uh, I mean, it, it was a lot of fun to have cards. You know, growing up, I remember my brother inherited like this 1973 set and, you know, I still have these cards all over the place. And it was uh, one year, I think it was from the attic of a neighbor and they didn't want them anymore. So, we had like duplicates from the set. So it was pretty cool. And so I I knew like getting to the big leagues, just like getting a Stratomatic card was really cool. Getting a baseball card officially, and you're always waiting for like the next year. They take it in spring training. That was exciting. And and fans coming and bringing them to sign and mailing them to you. So yeah, it was, it was a, cool to be part of that. So yeah, the fact that I could, you know, make 12 bucks off is, I, I appreciate that. Uh, that's a lot more than I thought. I could go to like Panera Bread or something and, you know, treat myself to like, a, you know, some sort of soup. And that's something. That's saying you something. Should, you should be more valuable, but I think the law of supply and demand is working against you there as opposed to me. Um, you know, <laughs> let, let me let me do one more thing. Like I am always shocked when I'm at some place like Cooperstown or the All-Star Game and people have my card. And they're yeah. carrying it around with them, and they stop me and they ask me if I would sign it. And I'm always thinking, why are theoretically normal people walking around the world with my baseball card? It always amazes me. I'm thinking maybe they buy them for 34 cents and figure they can flip them for maybe 55 cents. <laughs> right. Could that be it? I don't know. But why don't I ask you, what's the most surprising time? or place that somebody had one of your cards and asked to get it signed? Well, that's a good question. Um, I don't I don't know, like, card-wise. I mean, but yeah, the idea that people carry it around is always kind of cool. And you say, oh, wow, they were just kind of ready for this? Was it in your wallet or something? You know? Uh, so, uh, and my first autograph card, not like tops level card, but just photo card, was from Bob Boone. I wrote a letter to the Phillies, and he was the first one to sign back an autograph card. So I always remember the importance of that with fans, and I guess I would have carried around a Mike Schmidt card if I could have. Uh, but but I think the, the strangest thing, actually, it's, it's not a card story, but it's when I was in Virginia at a Cracker Barrel, driving down, I think, to see family in North Carolina, and I got stopped in the Cracker Barrel by the hunting trainer 
of the Amish. Uh, that's right. Uh, he was the trainer for the Amish. Now, I didn't, I had a little trouble understanding him. He's kind of had this Dutch kind of thing going on. But he was a, he recognized me. And he's in the full like flannel lumberjack stereotypical outfit with the beard. And his job was to train the Amish. So it, it actually gave me insight on how Amish society works. And I learned a lot more about it, even though, you know, I live in Pennsylvania, but like newspapers and I say, like, oh, do they follow baseball? You know, I was like, I had to get more educated about it. And I was amazed at how there was this connection there. So, you know, that was, that was probably cool. Even though there was no card involved, <laughs> that was a fan <laughs> moment that I least expected in my entire life. <laughs> Well, that's a good story. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but I enjoyed no. it. <laughs> Never no. heard that one yeah. before. Figured, yeah, uh, figured it'd be fun. Yeah. Uh, Doug, I kid about my 34 cents Topps baseball cards, but uh, we have breaking news here on Starkville. Ooh. And for that breaking news, we need to bring in the mayor yet one more time. Mayor Cam, what breaking news do you have for us? Yeah, this is ESPN ticker quality breaking news. And wow. as I'm scrolling through Whoa. eBay, you guys are talking about prices of baseball cards. Jason, I see an autographed Topps baseball card, your baseball card, minted, 8 out of 10 in terms of quality, as it's been Ooh. rated, worth $50 on eBay. Whoa, man. And really? Doug, yeah, just out of curiosity, I'm, I'm scrolling through Doug's cards that are available. And there are mm -hmm. several that say buy two, get four free, buy four, get two free. And Whoa, as you move along, <laughs> there are some autographed Doug Glanville baseball cards, 2000 signed autographed baseball card for $13.96. Whoa. All right. Wait, wait now. Autographed mm -hmm. start card, 50 bucks. Autographed yep. Glanville card. That was $12.96. Thirteen ninety six. Mm. Don't sell the thirteen. Dollar short. Yeah, no, I apologize. Thirteen, lucky thirteen. Thirteen dollars and ninety six cents, mm -hmm. and fifty dollars. Um, just remind us which one of those is the higher figure. Yeah, <laughs> I, I struggled with elementary arithmetic, but Jason, I think I have to say like that's double or triple what Doug's autographed baseball card is. is it is. It's, it's, is, is it U.S. dollars? Because uh, my, my dad was from Trinidad and uh, it was like 100 to 1. The rubies. Yeah. The rubies. Yeah, there must there must be a, a currency exchange issue. That's Glanville's theory on this. But this is the biggest story ever broken on Starkville. And I want to thank the mayor, Mayor Cam, for delivering this important bulletin. Just a reminder, Topps cards are so iconic. And they have been for literally our whole lifetimes. Uh, this Topps Project 70 series is fantastic. If you haven't read about it or seen it, just take some time. Google it or something. Take a look at some of these cards because they are true works of art. And we are really privileged be, to be sponsored right here in Starkville by Topps and Topps Project 70. All right, that's going to do it for this week's show. You can find us every Tuesday right here as part of the Athletic Baseball Show. Monday, it's Ken Rosenthal's Mailbag. Thursday's Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby. Friday, Keith Law and Derek Van Riper. Great stuff all week long on the Athletic Baseball Show, which is available in its entirety absolutely free at Apple, Spotify, Everywhere you get your podcasts. And of course, 
You can still find us ad-free at The Athletic and at The Athletic app. So if you like what you hear, we would love it if you would subscribe and give us one of those five-star reviews. And we really appreciate all the people who have already done that. Uh, If you'd like to read our work, there is no better sports writing being done anywhere than in The Athletic. So just go to theathletic.com slash baseball show and you can now subscribe for 50% off. So check us out. You'll be happy that you did. Also remember, you too can be part of this podcast. Every week, we invite the listener who submits the most fun trivia question of the week to join us right here on this very podcast and prove once again, there's almost no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong. To do that, either email it to us at starkville at theathletic.com or fire those questions at us on Twitter. And here comes the part of the show people look forward to where Doug Glanville spells his name. Doug, how would people <laughs> find you on Twitter? Yeah, so we should get bonus trivia points for spelling. And uh, so I'll spell my name and try to get this correct. It's uh, at Doug Glanville, D-O-U-G, another G, L-A-N, V as in Victor, I-L-L-E. So hit me up at Doug Glanville, throw me some trivia. And it is perfectly acceptable to give me a trivia question to ask us how to spell our own name. I think we would get that <laughs> yeah, 100% y- right. Yes. So let, let me interrupt here by saying Glanville has already gotten a trivia question right about himself. Now he <laughs> wants bonus trivia points for spelling his name. <laughs> We're going to need somebody, some grand trivia authority to step in and stop this man <laughs> from running amok. Uh, meanwhile, if you're looking for me on Twitter, I am at Jason ST. That's J A Y S O N S T. Two things. Remember to hashtag your questions, hashtag Starkville QS. The other thing is, we still have people answering the questions that other people post. <laughs> this is not leading us anywhere productive. They're trying <laughs> okay? to help. They're trying to help us. They're, they're trying to help us. They're, they're not. <laughs> they're having fun with our questions. So don't answer the questions until after after we have gotten them wrong on the show. Got it? All right, Doug. Thanks for playing. Thanks to Charlie Montoyo for visiting us. Thank you to Tim Lundberg for the great trivia question. Thanks to the acting mayor of Starkville, Cameron Molina, for producing us and putting up with us. And thanks to you all for listening. Coming up Thursday on the Athletic Baseball Show, it's Hunter Pence and Grant Risby. Doug and I will see you next Tuesday on Starkville.